Well, let's, let's get back into the Word today. This is our fourth sermon in the series called, or The Called. And today I want to talk about acting called. I want to talk about acting called. Calling as a behavior, and we'll, we'll get into it in a bit. Um, we certainly appreciate those of you who, who fulfill your calling to serve here at Bethany Community Church. And there are going to be more opportunities to serve. I hope you will jump in. We want to uh, we want to re- restart our um, our um, uh, prayer partners uh, and and our uh, we're going to have monthly communion emphasis. But we're going to we want to start making communion available communion stations like we did before before the pandemic. And so uh, we're going to need a whole team of people who who like to pray for people. If you're a person who likes to pray for people and cares about people, let me know, and we'll try to fit you in, okay? Let, let's talk about uh, called and acting called. We all have a tendency to look to others to bestow significance on us. That's normal, that's natural. But God has a better way, and God always has a better way than the natural way that I do it. Uh, you are... Designed by God to be powerfully present wherever you are. You, are you've, you, you have great significance and you're called by God because he has put a calling on your life. Now we're living in a cultural moment where we're being pressured to analyze every context we find ourselves in for who has power and who doesn't. That's the cultural moment that we are in right now. Uh, we're, we're in this uh, cultural moment when it's popular to be a victim. The, the, and the trick is to become a registered, pedigreed underdog. Uh, and yes, it's true. It's so true. We need to hold leaders accountable. We need to be alert to corruption and excesses of power that all too often occurs among those who have leadership roles. However, you have a God-given call to significance that's only discovered when, you're, when you discover your identity as being called of God and that's the only thing that's going to totally satisfy your need for significance. You see, it's an irrebutable fact that you really matter. It's an irrebutable fact. You really matter, and there's a better way than striving and living in perpetual conflict with everybody around you to enjoy this reality. I want to release you from striving for significance today, and I want to just show you how you have it already. The Apostle Paul, of whom we learn in Philippians 3, had gone to the very top of the Jewish socio-political world as a member of the ruling class. He went to the top. He said in Philippians 3, 5, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. However, if you read the rest of it, when he met Christ... He was so impressed with Christ and his grace, he said, I, oh, I consider all that is manure, dung. That's what I consider all that significance, that being at the top of the socio-political class, the ruling class, the elite. That's what I consider that now that I've met Jesus. I've been so impressed with Jesus that that seems insignificant. And it caused him to write in our text for today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. 
Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves with peace, for there is one body, one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, each, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So he talks about, and we're going to get into that right now, about all these things related to your call. And at the end, it says, oh yeah, you do have a gift that you need to serve others with. Everybody has a special gift. But he doesn't make it all about the gift. He doesn't start with the gift and work from the gift. He starts with something else, which we want to get into. Uh, we're in a world, you know, right now, where crafting one's personal brand can get you a million views on something, Right? YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and a similar amount of likes on Facebook and shares and all that. Uh, and there's nothing fundamentally wrong with being a social media star. Um, but it falls short <laughs> of knowing Christ. It falls short of being truly significant. You know, I read an article about a girl named Cassie who on a fall day at Stanford University, she was, she was in the... Uh, floor exercising and her friend got out the phone and started uh, video hurrying, exercising and, uh, and she shared, her friend shared the video publicly on social media and it went viral. Within days she had millions of views of people watching her exercise and, 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 and she was so successful at, at getting people to watch her exercise that people began to send her money to watch her exercise, and she even, she even had to get uh, uh, other friends to take the overflow business. And, and of course, there was, uh, b back in the beginning of the whole social media area, era, uh, there was a kid who went into a hardware store in West Virginia, and he, he, was a, he, he could play the piano exactly like Jerry Lee Lewis. And so he did a, he did a Jerry Lee Lewis impression for some friends and uh, in, a, in, a, in a little hardware store in West Virginia, and someone filmed him and put it on Facebook, and within days, and this was back in the beginning, it wasn't as crazy as it is now, he had six million shares, not just six million views, he had six million shares, and it resulted in, a, 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 he had a whole career, he still has a whole career doing shows, uh, impersonating Jerry Lewis. So, that's the culture that we live in. Uh, but the Apostle Paul is so sure that he has found the superior approach to life that either the grasping for power on the domain of human politics that like we talked about earlier or the performing for attention on social media, he, he, he said, I found the superior way to feel significant. I found the superior way to serve Christ and it's by becoming a slave of Christ. And here's some things I want to share with you about what I believe Paul was thinking. First of all, I believe he was thinking that our calling is more about the who than the do. Our calling is more about the who than the do. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that doing task is not a part of our calling and doing task of service for people is not a, a part of what we're talking about today because we're going to get into that, that later. That's very important. 
But when I talk, when I talk about the who before the do, it's who are you committed to? Our calling starts with who you're committed to. Are you married? You're called to serve your spouse. Are you employed? So I, I just don't know what God has called me to do. Well, are you married? God's called you to serve your spouse. Are, are you employed? God's called you to serve your employer. Uh, and and let, let me tell you, I believe God has called me, uh, you know, to be a shepherd at Bethany Community Church because this is where I'm employed, for one thing, Right? Now, the way, I, the way I'm to carry out that responsibility is totally different than how I'm to carry out my responsibility as a spouse. I mean, if, if, if Sherry and I have a, a constructive conversation, uh, you know, you know what I mean, right? I should not say, okay, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, I'm going to prepare a teaching. I'm, I'm going to prepare a, a message for you. And I will teach you about what you should have thought about that subject. Or how you should have behaved in that situation. I will expect you to be there and take notes. Now I can do that in this that's how I serve you. That's exactly how I serve you. Next Sunday, I'm going to start a new series. In two Sundays, we're going to start a new series on, called Taking Back the Family. So we're going to be taking back the family. That's, that's my job. With you, that's how I serve you. That's how I fulfill my calling with you. But I don't go to, to, to Sherry. I'm going to teach you Wednesday night how to be a better wife. I think I, I think I tried something like that sort of one time. Because we get our roles mixed up. You know, we, we want to teach at home. <laughs> and they just don't, family to the kids either, they don't want to hear me teach either. So I take it out on you. So are you, are you, are, did you sign that BCC partner card? Are you, are you a BCC partner? Well, you're called to serve Bethany Community Church. You're called for, to, do, to, do, to, to find out what the role of being a church member is. That is your calling. It's the who before the do. You know, are, are you a citizen of the United States? You're called to serve this country. You're called to make it a healthy and flourishing place. Are you a Christian? Well, you're called to worship and magnify the Lord if you're a Christian. Uh, have you created expectations with people? Well, you're called to try and meet those expectations. You should wake up every day thinking, who has expectations of me? What are my obligations? I love these lines from Robert Frost. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. I know some of you, you just, when you think about the will of God, you just 
and the call of God, you're just like, you're just terrified. You're going to miss the call of God. You're not going to hear what he said. You know, he's going to, you're going to go to the church down the street and you were praying, you were praying that God would send you a spouse and you went to the church down the street and she came to Bethany. And you missed it. Or he came to Bethany. And you missed it. You missed the call of God. God told you to come here. And you, and you, and you messed up royally. And you're always messing up. Because you're not hearing what God is saying. I think the will of God initially is so big. You could drive a Mack truck through it. It's so easy and simple to know what God is calling you to do. Because if, if you will focus on the who before the do. You will know what you're supposed to do to begin to follow the call of God in your life. We'll get into the obscure at a different time. But let's start with the obvious. You always start with the obvious. And let God reveal the obscure. We try to start with the obscure and work to the obvious. We try to get the obscure. Am I supposed to be in serving God in in digging wells in Africa, or am I supposed to be serving God by being, by, by, by you know, for a while, and, and I, I really admire this, by the way. I mean, I, I, my heart bleeds for, the, for this problem of human trafficking. But for a while, I don't think I met a single young person whose call in life was to stop human trafficking. That, that was, the, and I'm not, I'm not laughing because that's not a really serious matter. But human trafficking is very complicated. Stopping human trafficking is very, very, very complicated. And that's why, you know, Jordan Peterson became famous by saying, clean your room. <laughs> he, was, he was saying, start with, start with your room. Start with your obvious before you go to the obscure. Clean your room, then save the world. You know, we got to say. There's... Uh, Nothing more, let me say this, there's nothing more noble, beautiful, and glorious than to live a life of obligation. It's not usually glamorous, it, it's countercultural, but it's the way of Jesus. It's also life in real communities instead of imagined communities that we invent. Let's look at a biblical example of the who before the do. Jehoshaphat is gathering with these other kings, and we won't try to unpack the story. It's a kind of an involved story, but they're, 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 they're deciding whether to go to battle. And they, they, in those days, uh, they would call a prophet, a man of God, to come and tell them whether they should go to battle. And Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Now, now, Elisha, prophet, had never worked a miracle at this point. He was only known about one thing. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, it's very clear when you read the narrative of, of, of Elisha's faithfulness that he embraced this role. See, this, this call to people in task is consistent throughout the Scripture. And I'm picking one of my favorite examples here in 2, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. I love this one. And don't let it be lost on us here that this high-ranking officer in the Israeli army knew Elijah as the one who poured water, or Elisha, rather, as the one who poured water on Elijah's hands. That, mean, that means Elisha was Elijah's personal assistant. Now, if, if you know your Bibles, maybe you, may, you know that uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse, around verse 19 or 20, 
uh, Elijah had gone through suicidal depression uh, because he had fought the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel and then he had run for his life from Jezebel who threatened his life and he went into the wilderness and he, he prayed to God that he could die uh, because he needed, he needed a personal assistant. He needed help. He was trying to do everything all by himself. And so God tells him, I, I want you to go and, and ask Elisha to begin to work with you. So he goes and he finds Elisha. And Elisha got so excited that he gets to go be with the prophet of Israel. The prophet of Israel. That he gets to walk and, and work. He didn't even ask him what the job was. He just, the, the Bible says that he slew his oxen and he, he, he broke up his plow and he cooked the oxen and he took off after Elijah. And Elijah was even surprised at how enthusiastic he was because Elijah goes, what have I done to you? I don't think he was thinking he was going to go with him that day. I think he was thinking, you know, let's get to know each other and let's date before we marry, you know, kind of thing. And, but Elijah's got so, Elisha got so excited he went with him that day. And I don't know, perhaps he was thinking... Uh, that, you know, uh, I'm going to do miracles alongside Elisha. Perhaps he was thinking, um, perhaps he was thinking, I I'm going to have a, uh, I I'm going to be one of the teachers of Israel, like assistant teacher, or I'm going to be assistant miracle worker. But he became the personal assistant, so Eli Elijah needed his hands washed. He, he would put his hands out, Elijah, Elisha would pour water over his hands and make sure the prophet was okay. And, you know, how did that work out? Well, in the end, Elijah, Elijah did seven miracles. Elisha did 14 after Elijah died. Because he wasn't afraid. He understood the who before the do. He wasn't afraid to be committed to a person. See, God does not care about your ego. God does care about your self-worth, but he is less concerned about your feelings of self-worth than he is your actual value. Anyone who wants to be first, Jesus said, must be the very last and servant of all. Mark 9.35 uh, says that. And then in Zechariah 4.10 it says, Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reign throughout the earth will rejoice. I don't have a clue what the seven eyes of the Lord are. But I do know what small things are. I do know what, I do know what the days of small things are. It's what, it's what Sherry and I did 34 years ago when there were seven people downtown and the place smelled bad and we got in there and cleaned the building up and made it smell good uh, because it wasn't about doing something great. It was about doing something small. And it was about doing the obvious before the obscure. Before, before you can have revival, the room has to be clean. <laughs> it just has to smell good before you can have a move of the Spirit. Before you can have the aroma of the Spirit, you've got to have the aroma of Glade. It's just... <laughs> Don't get me wrong today. There's no problem with being important. We desperately need people who can wear the mantle of authority, who can wear it competently. We need people who can be executives and all of those things. And 
We, we, we need people whose ability commands respect, who use their authority in everyone's best interest. But here's the deal. But the same qualities that make you great in a serving role will make you great in a leadership role. In Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, he writes, how, do you, how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that's a profound statement. We, the lie we tell ourselves, if, if I were in charge, I would be different. If I were in charge, I would, I would be less angry. I, I wouldn't be so frustrated and petty if I was in charge. Uh, I would be more helpful. I would be more caring. I would be more amazing if I were in charge. <laughs> You see, our calling is more about how we're to be than the role we're to play. Our calling is more about how we're to be than the role we're to play. Uh, he says in Ephesians 1, I'll read it again, I beg, I beg you, can you hear his pathos there? I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. He, he doesn't start with, he doesn't even start with task. He starts with how we treat one another. The, the word calling in Ephesians 4 is the Greek word ekklesia, and it means an assembly of called out ones, uh, as, in the, as, in the, as in the call to marriage in Genesis we, leaving occurs before cleaving. So the word calling is, is that word, and it means it, it means we're called out of the world, not in the sense we're to leave the world or not to be engaged with life in the world, but we're called out, we're called out of measuring. Listen to this. We're called out of measuring things by secular values. By, by be, we're, we're not like the world. We're not trying to be like the world. We're, we're, we're called out of requiring human validation. We're called away from requiring a temporal reward. We're called to out of an old life that can be called, so we can be called into a new life. We've been called by God out of the world to make a difference in the world, which is kind of a paradox in it, isn't it? We've been called out of the world to make a difference in the world. So this world cannot supply our model for leadership. Our leadership has to be modeled on the paradox of the cross, the inversion. The, the cross is the inversion of all values and ambitions. So we too, the call of God, we don't think, we don't act, we don't love, we don't carry ourselves and, and the, rest of the, the way the rest of the citizens of the world do. And we don't do this from a critical standpoint. We don't, we don't look across the fence and criticize them and put them down. We, we are grateful to God and we consider it the grace of God that he's helped us to discover what real life is. He's helped us to discover where there can be real joy and real happiness and real fulfillment instead of the frustration. I don't know if it's always a dog-eat-dog world, but it's certainly a top-dog world. And God is calling us away from that. And God is calling us, and I say this a lot of times here, God is calling us to be a community of sanity instead of a community of insanity where there's striving and there's competition. God is calling us away from that. I love this, and I know many of you have heard this, and I've read it through the years a few times. The epistle of Methetus to Diagnetus. It was written in 130 AD, and we don't know who these two men were, but it seems obvious that Diagnetus was some type of official in the Roman government. And he's writing about the Christians. They don't really know. If you read history... They don't really know what to do with these Christians. And, and interestingly enough, and I've said this before too, they, they considered the Christians atheist. 
the Christians were considered atheists because they didn't believe in the mythical gods. So it was kind of the tables were turned. We're kind of getting back there in the world these days uh, to that same idea where the where Christians are considered bigots and all this stuff. I won't get into the cultural stuff. But here's what here's what uh, Methodus said to Diognetus, and I, I'm gonna I wanted to, I wanted you to see these words if you haven't seen them before. They're really powerful. Most excellent Diognetus, I can see you deeply desire to learn how Christians worship their God. You have so carefully and earnestly asked your questions about them. What is it about, what is it about uh, uh, the God they believe in and the form of religion they observe that lets them look down upon the world and despise death? In other, in other words, they don't value it. It doesn't mean they look down on the people of the world. They, 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 they don't value success in the world the way everyone else does. Why do they reject the Greek gods and the Jewish superstitions alike? What about the affections they all have for each other? And why has this new group and their practices come to life only now and not long ago? They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Let that sink in. They have a common table, but not a common bed. In other words, they don't sleep around. They are in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. Miroslav Valve, who runs the Faith Center at Yale University, writes this in one of his books. To make a difference, you must be different. To make a difference, you must be different. Finally, the passion and focus with which we do anything is the doorway to the next thing. Ryan Holiday says in his book by the same title, Discipline is Destiny. I think that's powerful. Discipline is Destiny. I love the end of the story of Elisha and Elijah's life and uh, Elijah says to Elisha, I'm going, I'm going away. If you see me when I go, and, and if, if you catch my mantle, and you see me when I go, you will have a double portion of my anointing. Now here's Elisha, who's been faithful to the who before the do. Here's Elisha, who's been faithful to the who before the do. Here's Elisha, who's worked. We don't know if it was two years, three years, four years. We don't know. He faithfully worked as Elisha's, Elijah's assistant. I, I suppose that meant uh, writing letters for him. I suppose that meant setting up appointments. I suppose that meant preparing uh, lodging for the prophet. That may have meant putting out his clothes. I don't know what it involved. But he faithfully served, and we see him in the last days of, of Elijah's life, that Elijah would go someplace, and he would tell Elisha, because he was testing him, I suppose, stay here. 
Elisha said, no, I'm, I'm going with you. So everywhere, it, it was like this. The last week of Elijah's life, Elisha would not let him out of his sight because he was focused on the person that he had been called to serve. And God miraculously called Elijah up to heaven and his, his mantle fell. Elisha caught it. And he immediately began to do miracles because he understood that discipline, I don't know if he understood it, but he practiced it. The discipline was destiny. We all know that story. See, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having aspirations in the world and in the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with having aspirations. The Bible talks about those who desire to be elders in the church. The Bible commends that. It's fine. If you can pay the price, then, then that's, that's, that's a worthy aspiration. There's nothing wrong with not having aspirations. There's nothing wrong with being content to serve in the place that God has put you. There's nothing wrong. We, we kind of make people feel guilty sometimes. If you don't want to be the top dog, you, haven't heard, you, you don't know God. Because God wants everybody to be the top. God wants everybody to be the leader of the leaders. Well, if you have all chiefs and no Indians, you're not going to fight a very good war. You know? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be happy with whatever role you're in in life. It's also okay to aspire to go higher. It's fine. In other words, chill. Relax. What... What's going on in your heart? It's okay. It's not okay to grasp for power. It's not okay to refuse to serve because you've been called to lead. You need to understand that when you lead, all you do is serve. You're at everybody's beck and call when you lead. You know, if someone calls me at one in the morning, I don't say, well, I'm sorry, I got off at five. I can't, I can't come over because I got off at 5. Someone calls me at 3 in the morning. They're in the hospital. I don't go, sorry, I don't go in until 9. No, you're all my boss. Every one of you is my boss. So you want, you want the top job? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be dying soon, so. <laughs> I'm getting close to the end. I can, I can see the end from here, you know. When the mother of sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to Jesus and asked if her sons could sit directly with him on his right or his left, Jesus didn't rebuke her for that and say, oh, that's terrible, you should not want that. He just says, he just gently redirected her. You go, you go read it over there uh, in the book of Matthew sometime for yourself. He just redirected her attention to the task at hand, which was to go to the cross and solve the problem of sin in the world. That's what I'm telling you this morning. What's the task at hand? You see, with the Lord, he can use anything to take us to the next thing. God can use anything to take us to the next thing. Some of us have destination disease. We can't focus on what's at hand because we're fantasizing about what is ultimate. You need to realize there's great purpose and great joy in the thing at hand. God gives us, typically doing well the next thing at hand causes us to notice that and we want to move on to it. But God calls us to the thing that's at hand. God gave David sheep. He kept sheep. 
And Samuel made him and anointed him as the king of Israel. Joseph served in Potiphar's house. Then he served in prison. Pharaoh noticed and made him the prime minister of Egypt. God gave Elijah or Elisha to Elijah to serve. Elijah, Elijah dropped his mantle of authority on him and made him the prophet of Israel. Jesus walked around doing good, obeying until death. The Father raised him up to be the Lord of all of the universe. The point is not that we all become something great and the great we can become something great in the eyes of human. That's not the point. We just want to be found faithful. So whatever whatever you're doing, pass the test so God can open the door to the next thing. Because God has a next thing for you. It may be a lateral move. It may be a move up the ladder. It doesn't matter if you are pleasing God. Isn't that what it's all about? Is I want to please God. I want to, be, I want to find favor with God. I want to be found doing what he called me to do. Does anything else matter more than that? The last line of our text says, However, he was given us a special gift. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. He said, you've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, and marry. We're called to follow Jesus. And Jesus served people wherever he went. Most people define someone as Christian by what they believe. That's how we mostly define being a Christian. We define a Christian by what they believe. But in, in true biblical Christianity, you're not defined as a Christian by what you believe. You're defined as a Christian by who you follow. It's too, the Bible says the demons believe. It's easy to believe. It's a good thing to believe and it's important. But what you believe does not define you as a Christian. What defines you as a Christian is who you follow. It's the who before the do. So that's kind of what I want to leave you with. with nothing will transform your life, which in turn will, can transform your home which can transform your place of work, which can transform your church, which can transform your community, which can transform your, your state, which can transform your nation, which can transform your world, like simply following Jesus. Jesus, in responding to the call to follow, it's talking about being what you were created to be, serving wherever and whatever is in your path and adding value to everything and everybody that you can possibly touch. I want you to imagine that I have a rock in my hand and you are the rock. And this room represents a pond. And I throw the rock in the middle of the pond. You know what's going to happen, right? The ripples are going to go out to the edge of the pond. God's not asking you to touch the whole pond. He's just asking you to touch a spot in the pond. And the ripples will go out. 
And you never know, you never know where it will end. My mother used to love to tell me a little story, and she was great about telling me these little stories that have stuck in my mind all the years. And you won't even know, you won't even know the name of this man that I'm going to mention. But his name was Albert Ott. And a pastor came to the, our church, and in those days we had what we call revivals. We didn't always get revived, but they called them that anyway. And uh, someone would preach every night and invite people to receive Christ and invite the Christians to stop sinning and people get filled with the Holy Spirit. We were Pentecostal, so you got filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and uh, So the evangelist preached seven days or eight days, whatever it was, all week long, one little kid came to the altar and prayed. His name was Albert Ott. Albert Ott grew up and built churches all over the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. I don't know, I grew up 14 or 15 churches. That evangelist probably died, never knew. You can't always worry about where your influence will end up. You can only control where it starts. And start where you are. Start with who you're with. And you might be amazed at what God will do. Let's stand. I want to pray with you today. I, I, I watch, especially this fall time, I'm watching your schedules and I know, boy, you're busy, people. You're so busy. you got so much going on. And some of that that's going on is important stuff. Some of that is part of your serving the people that you're called to serve, your children, your family, your spouse, all of that. But make sure, make sure you're not missing what God's priorities are. Make sure you're not missing the place where you could make the most difference. Make sure you're not neglecting an obligation to pursue something that's not an obligation. But the world has told you this is what you have to do. The society has told you this is what you must do with your family. This is what you must do. When it's not what's going to really move the needle for the kingdom of God. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you would say, Pastor Phil, I've decided to follow Jesus. Just let me see your hand. I've decided to follow Jesus. Leave that hand up there. We're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everybody who's raised their hand. God, you will show them today exactly what it means to follow Jesus. And you will remind them of who are the people that they are committed to and obligated to and oh God, if you want to launch us, if you want to launch us beyond what we could imagine, if you want to launch us to a regional or, or national stage, that's your business. God, but I want to serve you right where you've put me. And I want to take care of the people I've made promises to. And you will take care of the rest. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless you. And uh, yes. Um, 
Uh, suppose we, we don't have to do any uh, dismissal protocols anymore. I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, <laughs> God bless you. Consider yourself dismissed. <laughs>